Welcome to another episode of the Pretty Pixels podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joey. And I am your second host, Tab. And what are we talking about today, Tab? We are talking about disappointments, video (laughs) games that have let us down. Um, What did we call this? Behind the Waterfall? Behind the Waterfall, yeah. Behind the Waterfall. Would you like to explain that, uh, that kind of image for us? Certainly, yeah. So the idea is that video games often have a waterfall Uh, Waterfalls are like a kind of a staple of video games, and Mm -hmm. there has been public outcry. Maybe that's a little too dramatic, but there's (laughs) been some some public shade thrown at video game developers who don't put anything behind their waterfalls. They'll put a waterfall, and it looks very beautiful and enticing, and and you know, young adventurers want to go and find the treasure chest behind the waterfall or something like that, and they'll go and venture to it and overcome all of these obstacles to get to the base of it. And then there's just a wall and there's just this huge sense of disappointment. Or you can't even get behind the damn thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't even get to it. And then that's even worse because you're like, I know there's something back there. I know it. Like at some point, yeah, there I'll has get to be. something that I can get back there. If there's going to be a waterfall, developers, you're obligated Absolutely. to put something behind yeah. it. Even if it was a sign that just said psych, that would be better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, even just a little cave. I don't remember what game it was, but there was a game that I played where there was a waterfall, and of course, I had to go to the base to see. And I went mm-hmm. back there, and there wasn't like treasure or anything, but there was a small cave system, and that was okay. enough. I was like, cool. Wasn't there? I mean, aren't there some waterfalls in uh, Red Dead Redemption Two? That one had some amazing. There was a whole other Those world. Those caves, yes, fucked me up, dude. There's a fucking spoiler there, there's a predator and <laughs> it wrecked me um <laughs> there was one also, sorry go ahead no i was gonna say um even games like uh assassin's creed because wasn't there in valhalla there yeah. was a waterfall right behind your like encampment or the whatever area. and you could go behind yeah 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 and there was a dude back there that wrecked my shit yeah yeah he yeah. was like oh, i'm old and want to fight and i'm like okay let's go bitch and he's like <laughs> and i was just i was like I, i'll come back to you later um <laughs> But no, yeah, that cave system in Red Dead, which this whole episode is going to be about yeah. waterfalls now. Sorry. We need a Red Dead Sorry. appreciation <laughs> episode, though, for real. <laughs> um, but no, that I was in, in Red Dead Redemption 2, I was just so into exploring. I mean, Rockstar, mm-hmm. one of the things that they're the best best at is creating these big open worlds that have so much to explore that the game Absolutely. doesn't direct you to. You can just find it on your own. And the waterfall system or the cave system under the waterfall was one of them. I was just minding my own business, just wandering the wilderness, just, you know, kind of between story missions. And I saw a waterfall. Of course, I was, you know, had to go check it out. And I get behind there and I'm like, oh, cool. There is something back here. And like two hours later, I'm like, where am I? I think I'm I think I'm near the center <laughs> of the earth. I was in there for so long. This cave system is so huge. It was, but that's the thing that that's so exciting. The game doesn't tell you; it's just this magical little hidden it's thing. It's just there. Yeah, it's just part of the world, um, which is kind of how it actually works. You yeah. know? Who knows what's under our houses, Joey? It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole cave system. I would never go down there. I was in my basement for two hours, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "What? What day is it?" 
That sounds like a bad dream. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get to that, before we get to the disappointment that is there not being anything behind the waterfall, um, let's talk yes. about any kind of news or stuff that's, yeah. that's been happening this last week. I mean, I just have one really brief okay. thing. So anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I am obsessively waiting for uh, announcement, some information regarding Far Cry mm-hmm. 6. And um, the only news that we got this past week was that I think it's Mark um, McGinley, uh, who is a senior game designer, is no longer working at Ubisoft Montreal. And Mm. he was part of, I think, the development team for Far Cry 6. So some people are speculating, oh, my God, what does this mean for the game? I, I kind of doubt that it means too much because I believe the game is well underway. Um but I just thought that was an interesting little piece of information. Yeah, and games are so collaborative that unless it's early in the game's development, losing even like a creative director doesn't necessarily right. mean anything. It could, depending on yeah. how big the team is, of course. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's it would be cause for concern in this particular case. Yeah, I'm I'm not especially concerned. I mean, there's so many articles floating around right now because I think there's a lack of information yeah. that there are people who are just like really stretching to have some articles about Far Cry and they're like, oh no, the delay really puts Ubisoft in between a rock and a hard place. What does this mean? There's no good time for them to release it. And it's like, really? Yeah. Really? I think 2021 sounds like a great time for them to release some video games. People, people are buying. And, and plus, I, I have seen a shift in at least the social media corners that I visit of people being a lot more forgiving about delays. Like, there's a delay and people yeah. will be like, great, like, release the game when it's ready. In the past, mm-hmm. I think the popular consensus was when there was a delay, like, oh, is, are, should we be worried? Are we going to get the game that we were promised? All that kind of stuff. Um, but people realize that if you rush developers... Mm-hmm then you're going to get a broken game. You're going to get a buggy game, and that's and that's not mm-hmm. what you want. Like, you may want to play the game as soon as possible, but, tr- like, trust us, you want to play... <laughs> you want to play the game when yeah, it's ready absolutely. to be played. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's not anything that I'm, like, worried about, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, other than that, I, I this is another week where I haven't been too tuned in to the, the socials. Uh, just because of work and such. But, you know, I'm, I just want to say, I'm looking forward to the end of the semester <laughs> when I can just be lazy and not do anything and just scroll through Twitter yeah. for, you know, a good few hours and catch up on everything. <laughs> Speaking of games being announced, though, we did it. <gasps> we, we willed it we did into it. existence. It was us. Yep, I'm taking, we're taking full <laughs> credit for this. Uh, this this week, Kyle Seeley announced that Emily is away three will be released on April 16th, just one month I away. I can't fucking wait, I know. Dude. <laughs> like we talked about it in the last two podcasts, and then uh, after years of silence, he announces... <laughs> it was all us. You're welcome, the fans can thank us. world. <laughs> but that's great. It's a Friday. Yeah. Like, I know exactly what I'm doing that weekend. I'm now. so curious about the playtime. The first two games literally took me between like two and three hours. This game yeah, is going to be, yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's going to be like a 40 hour game, but if it is really <laughs> as, I mean, at one point I remember him tweeting something about feature creep and wanting to put all this, all these features into the game. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe it's not going to be a 40 hour game, but I'm wondering if there's going to be so many different things that you can do aside from working through the main like narrative 
of the game. Right. Or even if the game is only instead of being like two hours, if it's five, but like there's different options for like replayability, then like I'm totally down yeah. for that. Yeah. I'll, I'm, I feel pretty confident that I'll probably play it more than more than once. But yeah, I'm super excited for mm-hmm. that. So there's that. Yes. And then tomorrow, Square Enix has their digital showcase. I think it's called Square Enix Presents. Yeah, something. And on the one hand, Square Enix is one of my favorite developers, and so I want to be excited. But they they were pretty explicit in what they're going to talk about. They said they're going to talk about a new Life is Strange, which is exciting. We've talked about mm-hmm. the Life is Strange games here. I got to catch up on that. Yeah, though. definitely. Um, they said they're going to have an update on Outriders. Uh, they're going to talk about Marvel's Avengers. That'll be interesting to see what they're going to do with that game. Um, but you know, the the big life or the Life is Strange, the big Square Enix stuff that I would be excited for, like final fantasy 16 or any new final fantasy type of stuff or some of their other rpgs i mean of course in my dream event they're going to announce that they're either remaking or making a sequel to chrono trigger of course i'm going to try to bring that up every (laughs) at least every other episode but um but yeah i mean we'll we'll watch it and we'll we'll uh i'm like i said i'm interested in a couple of things but are are they still the publishers for um Tomb Raider? I believe so, because don't they own Do they, they own Crystal? Or Crystal Dynamics, is it? Yeah. I think so. Okay, okay. I mean, because earlier, before we knew specifics about what was going to be featured, you had mentioned, like, oh, we should talk about, like, the things we're looking forward to. And honestly, I want more deets on what's coming up for that franchise. Yeah. Um, I figure it'll probably be a little while. Um... But I am excited to think about possibilities for Tomb Raider. So, but obviously, like I said, I think it's it's probably going to be a little while. There's a sequel to the movie that's coming out, and I, I really like the first one. Um, it was a little kind of middle of the road, but I, I for a Tomb Raider movie, I was very pleased with it. For a video game movie, yeah. I was very pleased with it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They have a very, a very uneven history. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uneven histories. Should we get should we get to our behind the waterfall segment? Ooh, we should get to it. All right, all right. So I feel like we have to throw out a big what's the word? Caveat? Yeah. And be like, okay, friends. We're not here to just shit on some video games. We, right. we love video games. Um, some of the games that we're talking about I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot about those games that I like. So before the hate gets thrown in, just kidding. Um <laughs> We're going to be critical, though, and yeah. we're we're mostly – well, I mean, I, I know I'm definitely going to share some about, like, my experiences with these games, but I'm also going to talk about my perception of public response. Right. So I'm going to try not to speak definitively for all gamers. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. But we are going to get a little bit critical. Yeah. So what do we want to start with? We want to start be- with hmm? – Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think because that's that's important. I think that mm-hmm. when we talk about, because part of what we're going to be talking about is, like you said, the kind of response at large to these games. Right. And video game culture has become known for being toxic, which is not great. It was something that we don't want to be a part of. We don't want, we would like to change that. And part of that toxicity is responding with public vitriol to things like a disappointing game. And there's room for being critical and there are ways to be critical and you can be critical in a a rhetorically effective way without 
being toxic without and the death threats and the doxing yeah. and the fucking bullshit that that right. nonsense is um yeah i i don't know why people are so afraid of having just like conversations right <laughs> maybe that's not as like i don't know emotionally satisfying or whatever um anyways we, we can talk about toxicity <laughs> another day <laughs> So what do we want to start with? We have uh, we don't have a ton of games like you said. We're going with games that we have personally yes. played. Uh-huh. Um, so we have we have our own perspective on the disappointment, whether that's mm-hmm. agreeing with it wholeheartedly or or yeah. only somewhat. But um, do do you have a game in mind you want to? I feel like No Man's Sky is a good place to start. It's pretty I famous. Feel... Yeah, it's one of the more yeah. famous examples. So let me let me just provide a little bit of background, a little bit of context. Um, Younger Tab was excited about two games in particular, and I don't quite remember how I learned about No Man's Sky, but it was 2014 that they shared some footage at, it was E3, is that right? Yep. Okay, I'm pretty sure it was a couple years before then that I became aware of it, and I thought that the, and maybe my memory is just messed up which is possible but i i had it in my head that i i knew of the game before e3 so whatever avenue that was i'm not sure but regardless i was very excited about the concept of the game that we would have this procedural generation and that it would be like stepping on your own unique planet that no one else had like you know virtually stepped foot on before and that someone like no one else might like ever see that again Right. There's something very magical about that concept. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I liked adventure tales and like survival tales. And there's mm-hmm. just something so fascinating about that like experience with nature and just like, I, I don't know, like the fortitude of being that person to go and do these exciting things. And I mean, you know living like we do we don't have many experiences like that outside of fiction and outside of fantasy and so the concept of no man's sky really appealed to me and that's kind of like my my background with that what about you yeah that e3 trailer was was in 2014 and that seems so long ago that i have a hard time believing that i heard about it beforehand but i'm I'm pretty sure i did because i remember hearing like the the idea was that it's Minecraft in space, like it's Minecraft right. but for like planets. And mm-hmm. one of the the complaints that people have about Minecraft is the, is the graphics and that it's so blocky and cartoony and it doesn't feel real. This game was supposed to be very realistic, like it's mm-hmm. procedurally generated, but like mountains look like mountains and caves look like caves, and that was all very exciting. Um, and then the then we saw that first gameplay trailer at E three and that sort of solidified the excitement. And then from there, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to kind of forget about it because part of what kept my expectations a little bit in check was the fact that it was a small team working on it. Yes. So I remember early on being very excited, but being like, I don't really know what to expect, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of where I was coming from. But like you said, when I was a kid, I, I loved those adventure tales as well. And of course, being an adult and knowing about, you know, like imperial expansion and oh, yeah. colonial, you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, it, it problematizes some of that stuff. But 
I still like video games provide you this area where you can relive or, or tap into some of that youthful excitement about the idea of going into the unknown and finding this new area or land or whatever and exploring um, safely <laughs> yes. and not displacing peoples and stuff like that. Low but, risk. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, that, that was very exciting for me too. The biggest thing that drew me to it was that idea that you said where you can land on a planet and leave your mark and maybe no one will ever see it again but maybe someone will maybe in yeah. f- six months someone's gonna land there because they just showed up at the star system and they're like whoa what is this this creature has a name or this you know this planet has a name mm-hmm. and they're gonna see my username on it and be like oh there's there was some adventurer here like that was such an exciting concept to me right yeah and so then after the e3 footage um and again this is my perception of what what followed yeah. but there was a lot of hype mm-hmm. um there, there well okay there was a lot of excitement and between 2014 and the game's release in august of 2016 there was just this building sense of excitement and intensity and just massive hype and this was probably one of the first times that i as a gamer recognized just how big hype could be when it came to video games. Um, There were so many articles that were published across not only like your standard kind of games media publications, but also in um, more mainstream sources. I remember the New Yorker had, had an article about this game. Like that's, that's amazing. Right. And Sean Murray did a number of interviews and they put out a number of videos that were kind of keeping people updated on the development. And so all of those things built into the hype, but where things started to go wrong (laughs) is that there, there ended up being, I think a loss of reality. And there were things that were being said by developers that sounded very intriguing and very exciting. And they sounded like elements or features that were like, wow, I can't believe we're going to get this in a video game. Like the whole idea of every planet being different, which technically was true at launch. However, we have a lot of recycled or reused kind of elements within games, right? Right. Um, or, or on the on the various worlds, a lot of the flora and fauna have similar characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also what I think. Um, oh, okay, how do I know put this? Yes, there was hype that was built up by the developer by Sony. But there was also unrealistic expectations piled on top of that. And if you go back, and I know people have because I saw some of the videos back in 2016, um, there are videos where it's like, here are all of Sean Murray's lies. And some of the stuff, there is some truth to it. Like they said one thing at one point in development and then at launch, it wasn't that thing. Right. True. However, gamers, we, we like to be excited and sometimes we take things out of context or we blow them out of proportion. Of course, um, yeah. I didn't feel at the time that I did that because I didn't have like after we had played it and after because I got platinum, I didn't have this deep feeling of like disappointment Mm -hmm. but what happened at launch was right before launch there was a lot of leaking footage and Mm -hmm. there were some people that got early copies and they were streaming it on twitch i don't know how they got away with that um and posting stuff to youtube and so i became aware that the game maybe wasn't all that it was advertised to be 
However, I got my copy. I can remember it. It was, it was, what, what, what day in August was it? Was it earlier, like middle? I don't remember. Okay. Well, anyways, I remember being summer and I, um, I had it preloaded on my PS4 and I was super excited and I stayed up to play it. And I played that game for probably, I don't know, like 10 or 12 hours straight. And we were both playing it mm-hmm. at launch and talking about it. And it was exciting, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, But as time went on, I began to realize the limitations of the game and that yes, every planet was a little bit different, but you kept coming across like the same visuals. And so it wasn't quite as expansive as what they said. Um, I it's, it's kind of hard to think back to 2016 now, but at the time I felt like the gameplay was okay. It just felt a little bit limited. And I think I was expecting maybe more of a narrative within the world and with a different um, like races and languages that are presented. Um, I never did make it to the, uh, the center but um, I, I made an attempt and I named many planets along the way. <laughs> um, you want to talk a little bit about your initial experiences with it? Yeah. So, I, well, I think one of the things that people were disappointed in, you were saying you never made it to the center, was people mm-hmm. did make it to the center. And yeah. it doesn't really, it didn't, at least from my understanding, because I didn't make it either, it didn't really answer the questions that people had. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like, you know, part of, I think, what, led to such a backlash against this game was the silence and i think that's such an important key in some of these failures not all of them but like with this one you know like you said they were very upfront and willing to show the game pretty early on there was a lot of attention Um, i remember the segment on stephen colbert's show in 2015 that was a big deal like Mm -hmm. jimmy fallon is kind of like the gamer of the late night shows like he's had he has like a virtual reality pictionary segment on his game on his show where he did before covid and and he he talks about video games all the time stephen colbert stephen colbert is a big nerd who loves lord of the rings that's come up all the time on his shows but video games uh, not so much so it was kind of a big deal that they're they're highlighting this that this game and they 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 actually played it on set and they named a planet after him or like a creature after him or something like that um and I remember us watching it and talking about it. That was right around the time that we were working on our class, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe we had started or something like that. But it that was sort of like a reassurance that, yes, all those things. I know lots of rumors are flying around. But look, look at the state that the game is in. And we're playing right. this right now. And look at all the, the cool stuff. Um, and I... I, I have sort of mixed feelings because on the one hand, the things that I wanted to do in the game weren't really affected by the hype. Um, like you said, very quickly, I was like, okay, well, sure, every planet or every creature or whatever is procedurally generated, but it's still a this kind of planet. It's a toxic planet that looks mm-hmm. different than the last toxic planet, but it still has some of the same features and yeah. atmosphere and all that. Um, and so I, I was disappointed by the lack of variety, but... My the thing that I was most excited about really kind of went unchanged. I still could take off from a planet's surface, mm-hmm. leave through the atmosphere, which that that feeling alone was just incredible. Um, I could land on the next planet over, and mm-hmm. you know go through the atmosphere again, land, 
I could skim over the ocean. I could name that planet. I could name every plant, yeah, every plant and animal. Uh, that was the other thing is like on some planets there were like literally in, around the entire planet three types of plant, yeah. four types of <laughs> creatures. So it was like a whole planet was just one biome. It didn't have much variety within or with you know on each of the of the planets. Yeah. So so for me that stuff wasn't really affected because I could still I could still do that stuff and I was like my I I had a Tumblr blog I'm not I wasn't huge on Tumblr I mean I like you know I visited it but I didn't have like a an ongoing Tumblr blog until No Man's Sky because I was like you know what it would be so fun to have I like that a, we both did that yeah I was like let's yeah. have a traveler's it was like, like a log. captain's log that I yeah, did. yeah I would take screenshots and I'd post screenshots and I'd talk about. I would sort of like role play a little bit of like the Mm -hmm. traveler and like I'm landing on this planet and what do I see and what and like what do I name it and for me that was the the thing that was the most fun and I played that game for probably hundreds of hours like you said when it first came out I played it every day I was so dedicated to um, finding and naming as many star systems as I could because the more I named the more likely someone would come across them and be like Mm -hmm. oh wow what's this you know um, which that's another disappointment we'll get to the idea of yeah. <laughs> multiplayer not not being in it. But um, in, in terms of my experience, I was having so much fun doing that and traveling. And I was if you look back at my the naming, all the naming conventions and all the names and stuff that I did for each planet and system and all that stuff, I had I would come up with these themes where a star system would be named some larger thing that I, I liked. And then this the planets would be named something within those things. And then the creatures, the flora and fauna would be named something within those. So like I might name mm-hmm. a star system after one of my favorite bands. And then the planets would be named uh, after their albums. And then the mm-hmm. creatures would be named after songs. And so like if you look through like all of my my star systems that I named, you have this like very neat little history of my personal my personal life you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it's all of my some of my friends i had like one star system that was named revis because that's the the building that's the english department building yeah. and then the um planets were the different offices and then there were people you know on the floor and fauna so like i did a lot of fun stuff like that and i that that all of it- that was unaffected by the the hype yeah uh, and I was going to say, that takes time. You get committed oh, yeah. to that kind of stuff, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I had I had lists of things where I'm like, okay, well, I, I need a planet. I need a star system that has four planets and two moons because this is what I want to go. I want to do like an Alice in Wonderland one where I'm going to have, you know what I mean? I would, I would have that kind of stuff planned out. And like you said, it took time. And I was so happy with my experience um despite the that kind of reaction that we were hearing at the Mm -hmm. time which i guess we can we can transition into talking about yeah so i generally had a good time with it at launch it Mm -hmm. was very exciting to share that experience with with you um and i felt like some of the critiques were a little overblown and there was a lot of disappointment i remember there being a ton of like refunds and things like that and like you said like up to launch the developers were very vocal and then at launch it was quiet and that was just kind of telling it's like you knew that there would be some of this backlash and maybe 
100% of it is not your fault, but some of it you did kind of like, you know, egg on, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I went on to platinum the game. And then I think shortly after that, I did stop playing because I sort of felt like for as much as there are like, what did they say? Like 18 quintillion, um, is it planets or systems? I don't remember now. Systems. Systems. It's like stars, yeah. Yeah, it got to the point where it was like, but I feel like I've almost seen all of them. Right. <laughs> like not really, but kind of. Um, and at, at one point we knew that they would be, you know, adding more to the game. And so I was like, you know what? I've gotten platinum. I've done pretty much what I wanted to do and I'm happy with it. So I'm just going to set it aside for now. Yeah, I after many hours like i said probably hundreds of hours i got to that same point where i found myself rushing the naming and like not because early on i was naming i would i would seek out and find every bit of flora and fauna so i could name Mm -hmm. it um and then eventually i started being like well i'll just whatever i can find where i land (laughs) and i'm like well just maybe just one flora and one fauna maybe i'll just land on the surface and like you can see it in my tumblr blog where the post get shorter and shorter and then eventually i say something like i'm just going to post screenshots <laughs> or i'm just going to post <laughs> pictures from the surface um yeah. because i was i i still wanted to to land and name stuff but i i lost the magical kind of fantasy that i was allowing myself to be in for the first mm-hmm. couple hundred hours um the reviews that came in uh, according to metacritic and this is this is what metacritic has listed now so that might some of these might be affected by more recent reviews that have mm-hmm. come out after the updates because the updates have made some huge improvements. In some ways, it's totally changed the game, but yeah. Right, but but even still, the PC score on Metacritic is 61 for reviewers, yeah. 3.4 out of 10 for users. That's the, <laughs> the user rating. Um, PS4 is higher at 83 and 8.2. I don't remember it being that high when it came out, though. I, I remember no. there being some some pretty damning reviews yeah i'm checking on steam real quick um recent reviews very positive all all reviews 140 some thousand of them mixed and i'm gonna bet that most of those come from launch yeah yep because that was the the response was like we were talking about sort of that kind of toxic aggressive you made promises, you didn't keep them. Sean Murray was getting death threats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that because as I, I was trying to frame my experience with it in the sense that I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't incredibly disappointed because I got what I wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, they remember the promise. Like you said, there were some promises that were unkept. Some of them were people making had expectations and confusing expectations for promises that's that's your own problem but there were some things like sean murray said in an interview uh, i want to say it might have been on the stephen colbert interview where he was like you know oh so if if you know you and i were playing we could both land on the same planet like the chances are incredibly Mm. you know slim if not impossible but if we landed on the same planet we could you know see each other yeah and then the game came out and there were two streamers. <laughs> I mean, it was like the worst people, yeah. you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because that's very public. These two people were like, oh, wow, we're actually in the same kind of vicinity. Like, let's try to meet up, like find a star system that we can meet up at. And they did. 
and they found nothing. And they went around the planet that they were on verifying, okay, mm-hmm. we're in this, we're, on, we're in the same area. We should see each other. And we didn't. Yep. And so for people <laughs> that were looking for that experience, yes, that I can imagine that that would be incredibly disappointing. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can remember early on you and I talking about like, okay, if, like, right. we understood the number, right? 18 quintillion. Mm-hmm. So it's next to impossible. But if it were to happen, how cool would that be? And yeah. I could be like, bro, look at my ship. Look at my planet. Look at this little uh, bouncing cacti that I named after you. Like, yeah. But no, there was none of that. None of that, yeah. <laughs> so so I do understand some of the, the disappointment. Yeah. I don't, again, I, I never am happy to see these really aggressive responses. Um. But, but overall, you know, I, I did walk away from it, liking it. I did revisit it. My big heartbreak came when they did their first big update and they reset the universe. I was so upset because again, for me, the magic of that initial concept was that there was going to be this persistent lasting universe where you could leave your mark and someone would find it. And I left my mark all over that, that universe. And they were like, oops just kidding and they wiped it and when i went in after the first update i was excited because like maybe i'll get back into this and i log in and i i look at my 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 discovery list of all my planets and stuff and more than half of them were missing or just weren't on there and then the ones that were there had completely randomized names yeah and one of the things that i found disappointing was the my very first planet was the best planet I've ever been on. And I have I've gone back to it on on the PlayStation several times and on PC and I've never found one as cool as that and it's gone. It's like damn. I did, I don't have that. <laughs> I landed uh, my first planet was a a freaking toxic planet, so <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, okay, so shall we move on? Actually, I think I want to kind of go back in time a little bit for the next one okay. and talk about a game called Haze. Have you ever heard of Haze? No. Okay, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was released in 2008, and it was okay. developed by a group called Free Radical Design, which was known for the Time Splitter series and to many people who were fans of some of the N64's biggest games, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. It was known as Mm -hmm. the development team made up of former GoldenEye and Perfect Dark devs. Um, It was published by Ubisoft, which, you know, that I don't at that point in time, I don't really feel like Ubisoft had had quite the same control over its partners and, you know, um, development studios that were under it. Uh, It was released exclusively for the PS3, but it was developed for, you know, it was originally developed to be a multi-platform game. so Free Radical Design was formed in 1999, as I mentioned, by former Rare uh, developers. Rare is the company that made GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. They were a second-party Nintendo developer um, who eventually sold to Microsoft. Um, but they, these developers that worked on GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, some of them, I think it was like one of the writers, one of the programmers, one of the composers, and I think there was a fourth one, uh, went on to form their own studio, um, Free Radical Design. They made Time Splitters, which was received generally pretty well and went on to spawn several sequels. Um, And so that, I think, is all very important into 
understanding the hype behind this particular game because okay. so much of it was was built on their reputation. So let me talk a little bit about the game. So the game is a first-person shooter. It's a fictional, futuristic, dystopian world, and you play a soldier, and soldiers in this world, including you, the player, take something called nectar to enhance your combat capability. So when you take this drug, you become stronger, faster, your senses are heightened so you can see things more clearly. You can, you know, your weapon, you can aim better, like your your recoil is better, all that kind of stuff. And it lightens the horrors of war. So if okay. you don't take the the drug, then when you kill people, their bodies stick around. But after you take the drug, their bodies will disappear. Um, so it like... Okay. It even lightens some of the psychological effect of, of warfare. And GoldenEye and Perfect Dark were such important games of the time, and they were so important, and they were so integral, particularly to console multiplayer games, um, that the idea of a follow-up to those games was something that was always on people's they were like when's the next golden eye or when's the next perfect arc that kind of thing it was the mm -hmm. it was the halo before halo once halo okay. hit, hit that was you know in terms of first person shooters that was the the game that people pointed to and said oh this is the next halo or this is the halo killer that kind of thing so in 2008 um time splitters i the, i played the first time splitters game and i did like it but time splitters 2 was was really where i fell in love with with one of their products, Free Radical Design, because Time Switters 2 was very much like a more feature-rich version of Perfect Dark, and Perfect Dark was a more feature-rich version of GoldenEye. And one of the things that made these games so special is that in the multiplayer, which, first of all, being multiplayer and split-screen on consoles, first-person shooters at the time was a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to play with your friends and set up these matches and you could set up bots and have a bunch of bots oh, wow. and you could set the bots to very specific things. So you could have three bots be very aggressive and three bots be, there was a, a kind of bot that you could set up called a peace bot and the peace bot okay. won't pick up any weapons. It will only disarm you because one of the melee oh. attacks is a disarm. It's like a karate chop and you drop all your weapons. And so you could set like m me and my friends would set up these matches where we would have like all peace bots and and one <laughs> really difficult aggressive bot. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called like a perfect bot or something or perfect or a dark bot or something. Um, but that bot was like super hard and super fast. And so you'd be running around and you didn't know when you saw a bot if it was like a peace bot that was going to karate chop you and make you drop all your weapons that you just worked so hard to collect or if it was that really scary bot <laughs> that was going to kill you. So we could do all this fun stuff with the multiplayer and with bots and you could do that in um, Time Splitters 2 as well. And it had a very goofy, story, uh, goofy, silly story. And there was time travel and all this stuff. It was very cool. Um, and so when Haze was, was announced, I, was, I and many people were thinking, oh, okay, well, now you have this team who made these really great first-person shooters. And they get to take advantage of the most powerful console to date ps3 like it was such a there was such a big deal made out of like the cell processor and how powerful that system was and so basically perfect dark on steroids almost literally because that's what you do in the games you take drugs um to enhance your 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 performance mm -hmm. um sound is so exciting 
and then it came out and um (laughs) it did not i mean it's harder to point to the kinds of promises that were made it's so i don't have the same kind of context that i that we did for no man's sky part of this is this was a long time ago so i i just don't remember as much but um it was just kind of a buggy sloppy mess that wasn't Mm -hmm. nearly as it didn't have as much personality as something like time splitters 2 or perfect dark perfect dark seems like a very kind of vanilla story on the surface you're a um basically a, a spy and you're infiltrating these this giant corporation and so each mission is like you're going but there's there's like fun stuff in there like there's an alien named elvis and like there's this weird little stuff um and hayes just didn't have that kind of charm or personality so it was very drab very basic they they fell short on a lot of the potential that they had for including such a unique mechanic like taking a drug to enhance Mm -hmm. your capability they touch on some of that stuff like addiction you can overdose in the game and die oh um yeah so there's like some stuff that that they they i think they recognized what they had in the concept and then they just didn't really deliver on it so um edge magazine at the time gave it a five out of ten game informer gave it a 6.25 GameSpot gave it a six giant palm gave it a four out of ten ign gave it a 4.5 the Guardian named nom- or not nominated on the Guardian's list of thirty worst games of all time. It was number oh, no. I think sixteen or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, it was just it was um, there were a lot of complaints about poor level design, bad graphics. There were a lot of glitches. It had been delayed several times, which is kind of a hallmark of many of the games we're talking about. So I feel like at some point developers realize that it's not the game that they wanted it to be, which we should say too, we understand that game development is a very difficult, complex process. And so we're not trying to make any claims about, oh, well, why don't you just make your games better? You know, it's, it's, we know it's not that simple. Um, But for me, it was a really hard pill to swallow because if we go back, like this will probably come up a lot. I was a Nintendo fanboy up until the very first PlayStation console. Um, I was a very hardcore Nintendo fan. And so I, being a Nintendo fan at that time was not hard because Nintendo didn't put out bad games, generally speaking. Maybe they put out a game that wasn't for you, but Nintendo put a lot of care and money and attention into their games. Um, And so... I, like many people, I think, grew to have a loyalty to Nintendo and had these expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. And that carried on to when I started dabbling with other consoles and other developers. And I think we see that in these things. You, you, you You play a game from a company and you have such a special connection with it. It's not just that you love this game. It's that you love it so much that you feel like it is a part... It's like woven into the fabric that is your gaming identity. Mm-hmm. And you have just a handful of these kinds of games. And when a particular developer is responsible for one or more of those games, you begin to feel an affinity for them. Right. And like they can do no wrong because they made this thing that is so special to you and means so much to you. Um But this game for me was probably the biggest lesson in my er and this is not even that early this is 2008 but like 
this for me marked such a such an important lesson for me in it doesn't matter what the pedigree of the the team is it doesn't matter what they've they've tried before Mm -hmm. especially if it's a team that wants to do new things and experiment there's a very real possibility that they're going to fail or that they're not going to produce something that's nearly as magical and that was for me what my experience with this game was it was like it wasn't when i played it it was wasn't terrible but it was so kind of average that mm-hmm. i couldn't believe that it was the same people that had made perfect dark and isn't that sometimes the worst when a game isn't just like blatantly bad but it's just so mediocre yeah that can be the most disappointing thing <laughs> yeah if a, if a game is bad or broken you can sort of point to that and be like oh well they must have run out of time or they must have you know this or that and this game did have bugs but for me it wasn't even about that it was about it just not being it just didn't seem very special or memorable and like you said right. it, that was almost more offensive to me because mm-hmm. it felt like there wasn't the same kind of passion and attention to detail that went into making it than some of these other games that they'd made and another valuable lesson for me i think was that this this was a an early lesson in people or publishers will say from the makers of when it's not the entire original team oh yeah so (laughs) when we and this happens all the time with with games that people want sequels to but we're not getting them like and again a lot of it's a pr move but pr teams or maybe publishers will say from the creators that brought you this and really what they mean by that is from three people of a 40 person Mm -hmm. team you know (laughs) and i kind of think that's what was happening here but my expectations were set up as such because time splitters 2 was very similar to perfect dark and golden eye there were so many similarities that it was like oh okay so your next game and and maybe that was unfair of me and again maybe this is that was a valuable lesson for me is like maybe it's unfair of me to have these expectations to say well you made these two games that i really loved or these three games that i really loved so therefore you're going to make a game that's just like those and like it's asking a lot of them to not try something new and to not, you know, kind of give in to what their own creative yearnings are to satisfy me, the gamer. Like, you have to make the next perfect dark kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, it, it definitely uh, was a disappointment for me. But also, like I said, I think I learned a couple of really valuable lessons as a gamer of, like, you have to manage your expectations. You can't, um, you know, you can't live in the past and say, well, this is going to be a new fill in the blank um and just because a company that you loved is making a new game doesn't doesn't mean that you're gonna love them and that's a hard that's the that was the hardest pill to swallow for me Mm -hmm. yeah this uh this conversation definitely makes me think of another game that's on our list that's a pretty big one oh do you do you want to go to that or do you want to jump right to that (laughs) I think there's some interesting parallels. Okay, yeah, but... let's do it. Okay. Cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were going to save it for last because we figured it's so recent, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. kind of been um, maybe mired in the the discourse surrounding it. Um, but like you said, there's some, some parallels here. Yeah, because um, CD Projekt Red obviously is known most for the Witcher games, probably more so Witcher 3 since that's the one that hit the most. Uh, it, it garnered a lot of attention um, and 
is probably their most popular title and for, for good reasons. Um, but I think sometimes people forget CD Projekt Red's journey. Yeah. And that in order to get to The Witcher 3, they had two games that were not super great. Right. Um, and even with The Witcher 3, it's it's not a perfect game. And, and it's one of my favorite um, open world RPGs, but it's not a perfect game, you know. Um, and we can we can have discussions about what that means for a game to be perfect later <laughs> on. But I think that it was very solid and it was doing some things that were refreshing at the time. Um, but, you know, you and many other people experienced a lot of bugs and you played it after launch. Um, at launch, it was pretty buggy. Um, I initially played it on PC and I didn't have any issues. So it just kind of depended on your, your setup. Uh, but so cyberpunk is something that had been talked about since um 2012 and so that was the second game that i was really excited about and to see like what would come of this idea and the whole idea of like night city fascinated me and just like with the ties to the cyberpunk stuff i was like wow so this is going to have like a lot of freedom and options and that's how they pitched it as well uh but it ended up being a bit more uh, a bit more limited i don't know if we want to just dive into that stuff or you, if you want to talk about your initial kind of um awareness of cyberpunk i mean i think my earliest awareness was from you because okay. i i played the i was really late to the witcher party um and i think that being so late to the witcher 3 party was was part of what tempered my reactions to that one as well, because that one was so mm-hmm. incredibly hyped up. A lot of people held yeah. it up as one of the greatest games of all time, that kind of thing. Um, and especially for, for RPG fans. And so when I played it, it was very good and I really liked it. But of course, when, when, when something is hyped up to levels like that, they can never mm-hmm. reach, they can never reach that, that level. Um, because people are, you know, when they when they love something so much, they're only sharing the things that they absolutely love. And like you said, they're not sharing some of the more like the imperfections right. and things. And yeah. so when and it's one of the reasons that I at, at all cost will avoid hype before a new game comes out. If I'm kind of excited about a game, I will leave it at that and I'll wait. You know, if I can, I'll wait until I can play it, because the more I hear people talk about how amazing it is or how amazing it's going to be the more my my own expectations start to go unchecked and I start to get excited and get to the point where I'm like, this can't be bad. Look, think about all this great stuff. And <laughs> and then when it's really good and not great, I'm like, what a terrible game. You know, like I think <laughs> I think that's what people uh, suffer from in a lot of these cases. Yeah. Um, so I was really late to The Witcher 3 party, and but I did really like it. I, I, I loved it. Part of what I loved about it was the care and attention that went into creating that world and mm-hmm. the lore behind it and all the characters and the fantasy. And I know a lot of that stuff comes from the the novels, but um, you had mentioned that CD Projekt Red was working on this new game called Cyberpunk based on a board game and it's futuristic mm-hmm. and stuff. And then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold. And it was that, that sort of thing where I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to listen to much, you know, pre-release stuff until it comes out. But 
we couldn't avoid it. Like before it came out, the discourse no. around it was just so deafening. Um, they they obviously know how to market a product yeah. and just get it out there. And they were doing their Night City Wires and they were doing various interviews and like insider looks at things. And they're very much playing up the hype, which is kind of interesting because coming off of The Witcher 3, I don't think they had to hype up cyberpunk as much as they did. I think they could have let this sort of natural excitement build. And so I think we have another example here where the developer, the publisher, whatever, builds it up too much, engages almost too much with their audience. Um, And that's where stuff starts to get out of control. Now, to be fair, a lot of the stuff that they said would be in the game is in the game. There was some stuff that was removed. Um, and I was a little salty about that, uh, but mostly coming from a place of like, I'm excited for RPGs. I'm excited for new features and just more customization and stuff. Like, I love that stuff. And so when they took out, um, it was the, the having your own like house that you could sort of like tweak and stuff. Right. Um, they removed that from the game and then you and I have theories about the romance options (laughs) and such. Um, so yeah, that there was just so much buzz. People were constantly talking about it. I had kept up with the sort of discourse more than, than you did just because I was so excited. But after it was, um, delayed the first time I was like, okay, I just got to like calm down a little bit. I mean, I wasn't like fanatical about it by any means, but it was, how many times was it delayed? Was it three times? At least three, yeah. Was it three in total? (laughs) It was like, okay, when the game comes out, we'll see what's what. Um, And, of course, I had it pre-ordered, game launches, I play it. And I knew in the few days before launch that something was up because they were not allowing um, uh, critics, journalists to have access to the console version. And that is fucking suspicious. It's a red flag, yep is a huge red flag. And there were people who were trying to excuse it. And it's like, no, this is meant to be sold as a product for current gen consoles Mm -hmm. and the new series of consoles. And so I had it on the PS5. Right. So just just so everyone knows, and I'm not just shitting on this because I have a PS4 or whatever. Like I had, I played it on the Mm -hmm. PS5. And that game crashed so many times, I stopped counting after, I think it was close to 40 crashes in total. Yeah. Now, I did enjoy Cyberpunk. There are definitely issues with the game and its representation. That's not what we're focusing on today. We're talking about hype and disappointment. Um, but we we both platinumed. Mm-hmm. Right. We both put in a good chunk of hours, a good a good bit of time, despite the the bugs and the crashes. And that for me was the most disappointing stuff was that they released a product on console that was clearly unfinished. Um, My PS5 at times struggled with that game. Yeah. I do not know how anyone played it on the PS4, especially if they're playing on the base and not the pro. Like, yeah. (laughs) Um. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that, like, just sort of to revisit that point that you were saying that this, because I feel like that keeps getting lost when people, because people are still talking about it, but that keeps getting lost that it was made (laughs) and announced for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. You know what I mean? Like, 
you shouldn't need you should be able to play it on the base consoles then maybe it won't look as pretty maybe the textures won't be as good all that kind of stuff but it's just still fun it's still yeah (laughs) and and granted i the witcher 3 crashed a number of times on me um which at the time i was sort of surprised at because i was like wait a minute this is the game again everyone sort of hyped up um and so at the time i was a little bit surprised by that because they were hard crashes too um i didn't lose very much usually because of the save system but it was annoying but like you said in this game i also played on the ps5 and i same thing i think i stopped counting around 30 35 something like that and in in it was i i feel like at first especially it was like once an hour um or something i could almost time it and i could tell when the game was getting close to crash yeah because stuff would start happening in the world Mm -hmm. um and then there were just a bunch of little bugs and stuff like that but you know I also liked it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't envy yeah. reviewers. Reviewers, <laughs> like, of course, you know, it's one of those things where I've always sort of wanted or dabbled in the idea of being a video games journalist or a reviewer or something like that. I would love to to actually review games, but I would not love to give games scores because how do you score something like this? Did I have a good time with it? Yeah. I, like you said, I got the platinum, had yeah, a lot of fun with it, it, but there were certain aspects of it where I'm like, this game, like when you hype a game up, when and in this particular case, it was CD Projekt Red, Red's fault, I guess I would say to some extent, because they handled mm-hmm. the messaging and all of the kind of PR beats, yep. and they very, very careful right. branding. And, and just, it, I, I think yeah. hopefully they learned a valuable lesson in this, where you don't reveal all of your hopes and dreams as a developer early on, because from my understanding, I'm not a developer, but I've followed the industry for a long time. From my understanding, you almost can never deliver on all of that. So when you early on say, Mm -hmm. this is what our game's gonna have, it's gonna have this and this and this and this, and you have to cut out this and this, so your game only has this and this, like people are gonna be like, wait, where's that thing? Or where's the thing you showed or, or previewed? Yeah, like like with the racing, they were like, and yeah. there will be racing. And technically there's racing, but holy <laughs> shit, it's some of the worst racing in video games it's I've not, ever yeah, it's, played. And the romance <laughs> stuff is very disappointing. Of course, that was a big thing for me. Um, they put so – oh, we forgot the biggest thing, dude. They made they put so much attention to the yeah. life paths, and they don't really equal to shit. Like we both are of the theory that they started with Nomad. Because it seems the more fully fleshed right. kind of path, but then they didn't have time to make the to develop the other two paths as fully as they should, and so they like somehow glommed yeah. them all together. Because the 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 prologue is not great. It's like I thought that I would spend some time as a nomad and that I would get absorbed and I would become a nomad. And then going to the city would be like, whoa, yeah. this amazing thing. No, you go to the city in the first like 10 There was an minutes. interview that we found because we were thinking maybe we were misremembering, but there was an interview that said something mm-hmm. like, you're going to spend hours like in your life path before you get to the city. And so we yeah. were super excited about that. And so again... They revealed their yeah. hand a little too soon and then had to take some of that back, which understandable because we do know that there are issues at CD Projekt Red as far as their work culture and just like the development and these competing voices that were kind of pulling the game in different directions. Like we do acknowledge all of that. Um, but that doesn't mean that the game 
was any less disappointing as far as the things that we've that we've mentioned so far. Um, I am excited to see, and I will use that <laughs> word excitement, uh, where yeah. they go with it because they, I think, are pretty masterful at putting out DLC that is just the Witcher Three DLC it, is like, some of the best DLC stuff. I've ever played. Yeah. Yes. So I I am hopeful that they will be able to one make it function on the platforms or the consoles that it should function on um but more importantly maybe that they put together a fuller experience and that there's more to do in the world and that the DLC adds some really exciting things to uh Night City I I enjoyed going around and looking at things, but after a while, it was like I was looking at the same five advertisements yeah. everywhere. Like, there's just not as much, like, variety. There's not as much character as I thought there would be for a game that's yeah. called Cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, we don't have to get too much into this. I don't want to, I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but before release, mm-hmm. there were so many threads and people that we saw talking about the comparisons between CD Projekt Red and Rockstar. And I feel like the yeah. aftermath of Cyberpunk shows <laughs> that they're just not in the same league. And Rockstar has its own they're problems. Not. We're not here to talk about, you know, that stuff. But Absolutely. like a Rockstar game, they're quiet about the game until it's about ready to come out. Mm-hmm. And they basically will just put out a couple of flashy trailers and then here's the game. And then years later, yep. people are still discovering stuff about the world because they spent so much time polishing and perfecting it they had they always had trouble with their online stuff yeah 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 we were so excited playing online red dead redemption and we were up in the north one of the northern areas and we had walked into one of the um, what's it called yeah yeah and there was a line of salt (laughs) on our pant legs the level of detail my god like yeah, the the people who were like, they're going to, sh-. I literally saw threads on Reddit that were like, CDPR is really going to show Rockstar what's mm-hmm. what. And it's like, that is so fucking laughable. Like, I'm not saying that CDPR can't put out a good product, but no, you're, you're right. They're, they're in a completely and that's league. But that's the thing is when you get caught up in this like hype and this fervor, you start becoming defensive and you start becoming like, oh, we have to, I have to find ways to defend this game before it even right. gets out. And those are the people that I are know. most disappointed. <laughs> like you, I, we were exchanging, yeah. we would tweet, we would send each other these tweets of people being like, you know, that, that before the game came out, we're like, this is going to be the best game ever, 10 out of 10, blah, blah, blah. And then they were the ones that were literally like heartbroken and crying after it came yes. out and saying like, what did you do? What did you, you, do you let me down? It, it almost seemed like there were people who thought that this game would like take over their yeah, life they would and live. Would, would give them some some sort of fulfillment. And I I almost feel sorry if you're looking to media mm-hmm. for that. And I'm not saying that these games can't give us great experiences. We both have we could talk for hours about games that have really impacted our sure. lives, but to put that much significance on a product it's it's a consumer mm-hmm. product um, that there are some red flags and it hasn't even yeah. come out yet. That, se- that seems a little, I don't know, that's a little too much. It's a little too foolish. Absolutely. Yeah. But it, but like you said, there's a part of me that feels for them because I used to do that. Like when I was a younger yeah. gamer, I would get, 
I, you know, if I didn't have anything to look forward to in the next like three months of my life, but there was that one mm-hmm. game, that game was like my savior. It was my one shining point of like, yeah. ooh, there's something exciting coming in the next three months. Um, but, but then those same people turned around and sent death. Right. Threats. That's like, the I, thing. Yeah. Make it make right. sense. <laughs> yeah. We, we really, as a culture, as a gaming culture need to get better. Um, I think mm-hmm. by, you know, by and large, of course, most gamers are not like that, but there's enough yeah. that it just, it's keep, it keeps happening. And the thing is, and this kind of ties into my, my dissertation, but like, Yes, they're not the majority, but they're yeah. vocal enough, and they're and that's part of the issue. And, and they, they do cause damage. That's the thing is they act. Yeah. A lot of us are are perfectly yep. decent, fine people that will keep our opinions to ourselves, or you know, post maybe angry, maybe angry tweet about it. But we're not going to be sending death threats or or forming, you know, going out and finding other people who are angry to, you know, mass email or mass docs or whatever people and. Right. Yeah. So you know, we're we're working on it <laughs> as a <laughs> as a group. Um, but no, yeah, I think that's the thing. Is like I. But another thing I do want to mention about cyberpunk in particular, and I feel like this, you know, we're going on a little long about this, but um, I think a really important point to make for me is that with a game like this, we are hypercritical of it. You know, when there's so much pre hype and pre discussion, pre release discussion. I'm going into it. Most of us are going into it, judging every little facet of it. Unlike some people who who haven't followed it at all. If you've never, if you just are, you, you play games kind of. Um, I keep wanting to say casually. I don't mean that in a derisive way. But like, if you play games casually, <laughs> you don't follow like video game sites or anything like that, and you see this game advertised, and you're like, that looks pretty cool, and you pick it up and play it you might be blown away. You might be like, wow, this is such a great, this is so fun. Like I can't, the story is great. All that kind of stuff. There's a lot to like about cyberpunk. Definitely. But when you follow all of that stuff and you see everyone talking about it, everyone had an opinion about cyberpunk when it came out, um, regardless of if they had played it or not. And so then when you go into it, you start doing all these internal checks of like, well, you know, am I being affected by the hype? Am I am I going to agree with that person who said this really critical thing? Um, and so you become hypercritical. And the way that we even just you and I talked about it personally, we went through so many details. We were like, what about the graphics? What about the sound? What about the story? What about the characters? And we don't do that with most games that we play. So I think that's another thing that these games that are so hyped, whether they're responsible for it or not, that's what they suffer from. They suffer from the inability of the more avid frequent gamers to just play it and let it, let it, let it be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But having said that, I still think it's possible to be somewhat objective and kind of cordon yourself off from the hype. Um, And I think especially having a little bit of distance from video games that are overly hyped that provides you with maybe even more clarity of like, okay, now that things have died down a little bit and it's been a little while since I've played the game, I can still look at cyberpunk and say, there's some very valid criticism. There's also some stuff that they do pretty dang well, you know? And like I said, I am excited to see where this goes for them, but I do truly hope that they have learned their lesson, um, not only regarding over hyping and over promising but also working on the culture at their absolutely at their company. yeah there's there's definitely i mean 
there's a part of me that that doesn't have hope because that a couple of their responses, their public <laughs> responses to the disappointments were yeah. were not great. But you know, it's a big company, and I think their people have made some very civil and reasonable um, expressions of their disappointment. So hopefully, they can take all mm-hmm. of that in stride and and like you said, learn from learn from it. So, yeah. all right. So we should probably move on. So actually the next game I want to kind of just breeze through a little bit. It's it's Okay. Com- it's a, a, a connected in part to Haze because Haze as I mentioned was developed by former uh developers of the Perfect Dark um well not the, I was going to say the Perfect Dark games at that point in time there was only one Perfect Dark Dark game. Okay. Um and Perfect Dark was such a good game at the time. Uh, and like I said, so impactful for not just me, but for many people that the idea of a sequel or a follow-up was something that we'd wanted for a long time. We got it in the form of a prequel called Perfect Dark Zero, which was Mm. a launch game for the Xbox 360. Um, So I mentioned that Rare was the company that made GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. So Rare also made Perfect Dark Zero, but again, some of the key figures had left to go form Free Radical Design. Um... And so people were sort of not sure what to expect. So of course you just ha- you have the name recognition. So we're like, ooh, new new perfect dark game. It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be just like a sequel to the you know. It's gonna be a, 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 an appropriate or like, um, a, a similar sequel or a, in terms of quality, a similar similar sequel to the previous game. Um, but it was published by Microsoft Game Studio because, as I mentioned, Microsoft bought rare from nintendo in 2002 not from nintendo nintendo owned a minority stake but nintendo Mm -hmm. owned almost half the company um rare purchased the company in 2002 and and still continue to own the the company today and uh it was released in 2005 for the again it was a launch title for the xbox 360 and it's a single player game it's another first person shooter as mentioned um and with this one, they really leaned into part of what made Perfect Dark magical, as I mentioned, which which was the the idea of multiplayer. So the single player could be entirely uh, played co-op. The multiplayer, you could have up to 32 players. Originally, it was 50, and they ended up having to, you know, they, they basically, the last little window of this game was Crunch City because they, they didn't have it ready for launch, but they made it ready for launch, if that makes sense. Um, and... Then the game came out. Well, before the game came out, there was there was already some criticisms of some of the press, uh, some of the material they released. At the time, one of the things I remember most clearly was uh, this controversy about this guy, about this character that ended up being called Wall Guy. And Wall Guy. Wall Guy. <laughs> <laughs> what a name! <laughs> Pixar's Wall Guy. No, um, so. Rare had released a bunch of screen like um, screenshots and stuff of the game for as a part of their like press kit. One of the screenshots was of this character taking cover behind a wall, so he's like pressed his back against the wall, and okay. there's so little textual or like so little um, environmental detail that there's no shadow, there's no shading or anything like that, so. He looks like he's just a part of the wall. And so people were very critical of that, saying, 
wait a minute, this is for the Xbox 360. Why does it, you know what I mean? This is for this new yeah, powerful yeah. console and it <laughs> looks terrible. Like why, how are you even going to, going to release this? Um, and so that was before the game came out and that became sort of a, uh, like a touch touchstone for people that were suspicious or critical of the game before it came out. Okay. Um, and then it came out and I did not get an Xbox 360 at launch. I got it around the time that the, I, the black console came out. I think it was within the first year, I believe. Um, okay. but I didn't get it at launch. I, I did play it later. I had to, it was one of the first games that I bought because I love perfect dark. Again, it was perfect dark is woven into the fabric. That is my, my identity as a gamer. Um, but upon release, reactions were mixed so there were some outlets that gave it a pretty disappointing you know considering the fact that again it's it's microsoft second party it's rare both of these companies big companies have they both have lineage you know well at that point in time microsoft didn't have much of a lineage in the game industry but um you would expect one of their launch games from this company that they just bought that had a long history at nintendo of making some of the most popular best Nintendo games in the, in that recent history um, would have put out something that was more notable. Um, so the reviews were sort of mixed. Uh, game Informer did give it a seven out of 10. IGN gave it an 8.4 out of 10. Um, One up gave it an a uh, edge magazine and Eurogamer both also gave it a seven out of 10. So it's like they were sort of middling to high, but I think part of that was because it was a launch game. When you have a new console, mm-hmm. the launch mm-hmm. games often are treated a little bit more because you have no point of comparison, right? This game for this new console is a pretty good game, I think many of the people were probably thinking. Um, so ultimately, I think like when I did play the game, I found it to just be, like we were talking about before, very mediocre. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was serviceable. It was an okay game, but it didn't have the charm or the personality. And again, this is a different development company than the ones that made Hayes. That was Free Radical. Um, but it, it suffered from the same problem. It was like people didn't, the, the development team maybe didn't understand. I mean, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong with it. Maybe they didn't understand um, what people loved about the Perfect Dark and Golden Eye games, or maybe they were you know, beset by the the crunch of having to get something ready for launch, all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, I think it was just so disappointing. And for others, too, I've, I know there are a lot of people that feel this way. Because, again, it just didn't live up to that same sort of, like, magical feeling that Perfect Dark had. It didn't capture... It tried, you know, but I think in part it was a new... new there were a lot of hurdles for the development team to overcome. Um And the reason that, you know, I point to the positive reviews because there were some, but the reason I think that those don't really mean much is because what have we seen from the series since? Nothing. They did a remaster of the original Perfect Dark for the, for the Xbox one or the, I actually, I think it was for the Xbox 360. Um, and so it's been a while. Yeah. And that's it. Like there's, I mean, there's the new reboot that's being developed by the initiative, for Xbox Game Studios, which I'm very excited about. But other than that, Perfect Dark Zero was the last mainline entry. So despite those positive reviews, there was some thing that, that Microsoft looked at this brand and said it's not really worth continuing on with. So, And what year was that? That was in 2005. So 
Okay. Yeah, quite a while ago. Doesn't that feel like a long time ago? It does. Yeah. Jesus. Especially after the after the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but okay. So that was just sort of a, an aside. Hey, maybe we're gonna will that into existence. The, the end, end of the pandemic. Of the pandemic. Let's just mention you know? it every we episode. Just, yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> um, okay, so the last game we should we we should talk about. This is I think is a, a pretty big one, but I think this one has an interesting um, aspect to it too. The Legend of Zelda wind waker um have you played wind waker i have not okay i'm pretty sure i saw my cousins play it i want to say but i don't have like super strong memories of it so you played breath of the wild right mm-hmm. what other zelda games have you played you played ocarina of time oh god you, i mean you don't have to name all of them but like the big ones i i did not play ocarina of time okay. i definitely watched that one being played i played um oh god the, the Four Swords. It was something, something in the Four Swords. Okay. For the you, Game Boy Advance? I played it on the Game Boy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. Do you know what I'm talking I, about? I, I definitely know what you're talking about because it's like a multiplayer one, right? Yeah, but it was like, there were, was it like two in one? Um, was it Minish Cap and something? There's, I, I uh, haven't played many of the handheld or the yeah the handheld um zelda games so i'm not super familiar with them i'm pretty sure minish cap minish cap i think i i know i played Link's awakening um but that's not the one i don't think i'll I'll see if i can find it but i i have not played that many right um zelda games the so wind waker i think is one of the more notable historical examples of people being disappointed in a game and now it's hard to it's hard to understand why because the game has aged very well and people have you know now have very fond memories of it um but at the time expectations were set you know so high by the very first preview clip that they showed so uh, the Legend of Zelda Wind Waker was released for the Nintendo GameCube in 2002. It wasn't a launch game, but I think it came out in the first year of release. And it was uh, a link to the past in Four Swords. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So it was like a combo pack or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it was 2002. Awesome. Oh, that's the same year that this the Wind Waker came out. So oh. interesting. Um, but yeah, so it was released for the, the GameCube. And it's a pretty standard Zelda game. If you've played a Zelda game, you play as Link. You're collecting Triforce pieces. You're Mm -hmm. rescuing the Princess Zelda in some form. Um, You're fighting Ganondorf in some form. Um, But it was actually a huge departure from what had become known as the greatest game of all time by that point. Ocarina of Time, Mm -hmm. by many accounts, if you look at lists of like the greatest games of all time, even still, it's up there. But at that point in time, in 2002, it was often number one. If not number one, maybe oh. number two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was such a hugely influential game at the time. I think, I, I would argue that it was influential for a lot of open world games because oh. at that point in time, it wasn't technically, you know, I mean, even at that point in time, I don't even think we were using the terminology of open world games, but it came out before... Yeah, it came out at least a few years before Grand Theft Auto 3. But it was this idea that you could step out into the the field, this Hyrule, Hyrule field, and 
you could go anywhere and do whatever you want. Like there's no, not necessarily a path. Now, of course, the world were, was made up of these large areas that were interconnected. So there were load screens and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it was still a sense of like of a, a big open world that you can kind of go where you want and do what you want. Um, and you could ride a horse in it, which was like an early example of like a 3D game, open areas, being on a horse, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and so it was hugely influential, hugely popular, and again, frequently called the greatest game of all time. The follow-up to that, Majora's Mask, which was also released on the Nintendo 64, um, I don't think was as well received, but it wasn't poorly received. Uh, it didn't really diminish the popularity of the franchise or anything like that. Um, and so... Nintendo knew about all of this hype when they made the GameCube and they were like, we have to come up with a new Zelda. They released a preview at Space World 2000 of basically a demo of um, Link fighting Ganondorf. And part of it was to show off the power of the GameCube to say, here's what we can do with it. And it looked very much like Ocarina of Time. It was more of kind of a, a fantasy realistic version of Link and Ganondorf and there were some cool lighting effects and stuff like that. And it was what people wanted. They were like, oh, basically Ocarina of Time with, you know, prettier graphics, more processing power, all that kind of stuff. And so people had that expectation. A year later at Space World 2001, Nintendo showed the new artwork, which was cell shaded and colorful and cartoony. And Uh (laughs) yeah, people were like, what? What? That is not what you showed us a year ago. That is not what we want. And so people were sort of divided. Some people said, okay, well, it still, it looks cool. I'm, you know, I'm fine with the new direction, but there were a lot of people that derisively called it Zelda because it was cell shaded. Oh yeah. And that's, that became like a meme, I guess I would call it at the time. Again, I don't know that we were using that terminology at the time, but, um, (laughs) someone would mention oh yeah i'm really excited about wind waker and someone would be like you mean legend of zelda so it became like this kind of ongoing joke to kind of jab at 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 this new artwork and i think part of what 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 was wrapped up in all of this was nintendo's reputation so at this point in time this is early in Nintendo being challenged by these other platforms. So the PlayStation 1 was really kind of what dethroned Nintendo as the primary, you know, console dominant, you know, um, dominant force in the marketplace. And so the PlayStation 2, GameCube, Xbox era, because now here comes Microsoft entering the fray, was an interesting generation because there were a lot of questions about, okay, well, Sony dominated, you know, the last generation between PlayStation 1 and Nintendo 64, and it was sort of the fall of Nintendo. Sega got out of the console market in that generation with the Dreamcast. So we saw this this other industry giant, Sega, get out of the industry. So what does this mean? Like, what, you know, is Nintendo going to end up falling to the wayside as well? Are they going to just start developing games for consoles? Um so there was a lot of just and what's going to happen to Microsoft. So there were a lot of interesting uh, conversations about Nintendo at that point in time. And so one of the things that people used against Nintendo was the fact that Sony and Microsoft were branding themselves as adult gaming consoles that are making games for adults. And mm-hmm. we're not here for for kitty games, even though, they, of course, they did have kitty games on their systems. But 
Right. Nintendo was was mocked for being too kitty friendly and too, you know, oh, you make your cute little Mario Party games and stuff like that. And so I think Does more Mario. I, I love Mario, but there were people <laughs> that were like, oh, you know, you don't have any hardcore no, games except Zelda. You have Zelda, right, which is more right. of a hardcore game and it's very difficult and it looks realistic. And then Nintendo's like, just That's kidding. That's funny to think of. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but Nintendo would come out and say then okay, here's our new Zelda, and it looks like a cartoon. People were right. like, oh, see, we knew it. You guys are just making games for kids now. <laughs> we caught you. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think all of that was was building up to this idea that this game is not going to be what people wanted. And when it was released, and my this is my recollection of being on message boards and things like that. That was sort of my scene at the time. People were pretty dismissive of it. It came out to a lot of user criticism now of course if you if i don't remember if metacritic existed at the time but i suspect if you looked at metacritic at the time there would be a discrepancy between reviews like critics critic review scores and user review scores the Mm. critics gave it high praise edge magazine gave it a 9 out of 10 egm gave it a 29.5 out of 30 because they had three reviewers that that gave it 10 so two gave it a perfect score i think um, Famitsu gave it a 40 out of 40. Game Informer gave it a 9 out of 10. Eurogamer gave it a 10 out of 10. GameSpot, 9.3. IGN, 9.6. So, like, the critical store scores were incredibly high. But, again, I think there was this this disappointment that this wasn't Ocarina of Time Part 2, which is what people wanted. And so users were still incredibly salty at the time. And for a long time, that was people's, that was the sort of the punching bag of the bag of the Zelda series. People were like, oh, but it's not Ocarina. It's not, you know, um, linked to the past or anything like that. Now people play it and it holds up incredibly well. It still looks really good because cell shading ages well. Breath of the Wild is cell shaded. A lot of recent games, that cell shading Mm -hmm. art style, which was so new at the time, has become a staple of like, indie games it's kind of the default indie game art style is like cell shading um but you had like jet set radio the sly cooper games katamari damasi again breath of the wild like cell shading has become a very popular um, graphical style but at the time it was so new that i think a lot of people were like oh it's 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 the lazy way to go it's not you don't it doesn't take as much programming it doesn't look as sophisticated or anything like that but yeah, I think now, again, people, when, when people talk about it, it's often in people's favorites list of like their, their favorite Zeldas because it holds up really well. And re- when you remove that context of the hype and the disappointment of um, expectation with, you know, this is going to be just like that clip you showed us of a realistic Link right. and, and Ganondorf, the, you know, the, the criticism, all that stuff falls away and it just ends up being a good game on its, on its right mind. and i think that's what i was trying to get at earlier but i didn't really articulate all that well is just that distance space time really can have an effect on these the, the perception of these texts and so you have a game like that which is a perfect example and i wonder you know five years from now let's say will people still remember no man's sky and if they do how will they talk about it 
Yeah. Will it be like, oh, remember how stupid that launch was? But it's an amazing game. Yeah. We've already seen that sort of turn around a little bit. And um, I've seen articles that are like, is this game going to pull a No Man's Sky? And what they mean is rough launch, but then turns into an impeccable product. Yeah. You know? Um, what are we going to be saying about Cyberpunk? Will it be a game that somehow helped to define, you know, open world RPGs? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think time is is a very interesting factor. Absolutely. And I think that in many of these cases, we see that there is a responsibility on the part of the developers to mm-hmm. either be more honest about the development process um, don't just, you know, knowing that the, the, you know, and I know this is impossible. This is, this is not how PR works, but, um, it's when you make promises that you know, you, you're not sure you can keep and then stop being honest about it when you realize you can't keep them. And so you just start focusing on the positive stuff and not the negative stuff. Then you release a product that doesn't live up to those promises. That's a big part of what makes for disappointing um reception and on the other hand i think there's a responsibility on the part of gamers to manage your expectations again i have definitely fallen victim to Mm -hmm. hype and excitement and letting myself um basically come you know come to some kind of conclusion about a game before i've even played it and so i think there's there's a lot of lessons to be learned on both sides of the the argument here Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts about any of these games? Even though we know the uh, the downside of hype, I am very excited for games. <laughs> I, I yeah. want more information on um, Horizon Forbidden West. Um, and, you know, I totally understand hype. Like, mm-hmm. I am excited because of how good of a game Horizon Zero Dawn was right, yeah. and but think about that and how Gorilla just completely surprised people with coming out with its original um, game, new IP, right? Yeah. And did people expect it? Like, I'm pretty sure it got some really high nine out of tens, maybe even some ten out of tens yeah. at, at launch. So I do have hype, I do have expectations, but I also think the older that I get, the more I am like. I have these like peaks of excitement and then it like evens back out and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to kind of ride along until we get to launch and we'll see how things go. Yeah. I think, you know, having expectations is it's not, you know, that's why we use the word manage, manage your expectations because you can't avoid having them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep bringing up Resident Evil Village every episode (laughs) because I'm so excited for that game. But I... Because uh, Mass Effect's a bad example because I've played Mass well. Effect, so I know what to expect there. But with Resident Evil Village, it's a perfect example of why things could go wrong. But mm-hmm. for me, what managing my expectations looks like is I'm excited to play the game, and it kind of stops there. I'm I'm not letting myself read into, well, based on what they've said or based on what they've shown, what do I think the game is going to be? I think you can do this and do that. Right. That's where you get into that disappointment because you're like, ooh, based on the trailer, I really thought I could do this, but I can't, you know? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm like, I just leave it at, I'm really excited. Now, of course, yeah. If Lady D is only in it for five minutes, that's the only thing where it's like I'm expecting a lot of. Lady <laughs> she's not D. as tall as what you think she's yeah. going to be. So. Oh no, she's only seven foot. Um, but yeah, so I think yeah, it's 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 about managing expectations. You know, it's it's impossible to not 
get hyped, not get excited. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that's the thing is I really wish that with a new game that I'm excited about, I could just experience it in a vacuum. That would be wonderful because then... But then, of course, there's also something to be said about being excited and yeah. being taking part in like the community aspect of it. But That is true. But then yeah. I, I think it sort of sometimes leads to a sadness when the thing comes out because like you spend weeks being yeah. so excited and I can't wait for it. It's kind of like yeah. Christmas, you know, because then Christmas comes and then you're like, now what? You know what I mean? Like, what's the next Yeah, I feel thing? like my period, though, of excitement for a game can last a good a good while. But yeah, it's very individualized, though. Yeah, I think there's all there are also people that will that are parts of communities and that makes it mm-hmm. last. If you have a community that you can turn to yeah. and I, I feel sometimes sad that I'm not like I get I'm I'm a little bit too socially anxious to be a part of those kinds of communities, but like Persona, for example, mm. Persona they, that team has been releasing new games and information and stuff like that. They've had the a new ds game they've had strikers the dance games all that stuff so there's like a new new game every now and then to kind of keep me excited but keep the buzz yeah there are communities out there of people that are constantly talking about persona and writing fan fiction about persona and sharing so what memes. you're saying is we need to join some fandom we should do there's, yeah let's we're like on the outside <laughs> we're like these individual fans right. yeah um because yeah. i do think that that can do a lot to you know uh, sustain your your excitement about a game yeah definitely but okay so let's go ahead and wrap it up so yeah. next week we're going to be talking about vr something else i'm excited for yeah VR. virtual reality <laughs> so we're going to talk about our experiences with the tech um, some of our favorite games mm-hmm. and more importantly what do we want to see in the future yes so, I, yes yes this is going to be good definitely um, thank you so much for listening. Hit us up mm-hmm. at prettypixelspodcast at gmail.com with any questions. Um, hey, we remembered this. Yeah, time. we forgot last <laughs> week. <laughs> you can also stop by my Twitter page at Losperman. Um, and thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.